So this morning, you, you, uh, if you were here last week, you know that we're continuing part two of what does God think about politics. And uh, it's going to be interesting, I think. Um, I, it, it was funny when I was telling, when people heard that that's what I was talking about this week. And man, thanks to Ben last week. That was just awesome. Great way to set it up. But as people heard, I was teaching again on what does God think about politics. Um, people were really generous with some thoughts, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, I had someone come to me this week and they said, you know, this is in the word on why God's a Republican. And he sent me to this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2. And this is what it says. Maybe. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart is to the left. (laughs) It's like, well played. Sure, that's not out of context or anything, but then I had someone else say, well, you know, Jesus could have picked any animal that he wanted to ride into Jerusalem to announce him being king. Out of all the animals that he could have chosen, he chose the one that represents the Democrat Party, which is the donkey, right? <laughs> Obviously, Jesus is a Democrat. So I, uh, I partly joke, but I, I know talking about this, man, we just like all bundled up with all kinds of ugh, angstiness with this topic, right? We got all kinds of feelings, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of things. And here's the, here's the deal with this one, right? I mean, a lot of people are like, why in the world would you talk about politics at church? That is foolish. I was like, I mean, it may be, but um, it's, imp- it's important, right? Like, it's important. For the sake of the church, for the sake of our witness, like, it's important. And I, the, the, the downside and the danger in a format like this is it's very mono, it's a monologue, right? It's very one-directional. And so, like, what's been the best this week is I've been having conversations and people ask questions and, like, I mean, if I ask a hypothetical question at Moran Park, you, you actually answer it. But um, we just don't have time for all that this morning. So here's, here's the thing. Is if you've got further questions or things you're wondering about in your situation, just ask. Shoot me an email. Take me out to lunch. I mean, whatever you want to do. Um, we grab coffee, whatever. I'm happy to talk more about this. I just am not going to be able to get into every aspect. And I, I'm trying to walk this line this morning. If I'm going to be really upfront with you, I'm trying to walk this line this morning of... I don't want to needlessly push any buttons, right? But I think there's going to be some buttons pushed. And, and I'm not trying to push just to, just to get a reaction out of you because I think the Lord wants to do something in our hearts. And sometimes when the, the Spirit pushes a button, it's because He wants to deal with something there. So my prayer, my request for you is that if you just kind of like, ah, ah, uh, that you wouldn't throw anything, first and foremost. Um, but did you just like wrestle with why, why am I feeling this way? What's going on? And I might be wrong, right? I may be wrong about some of this stuff. You have to go to the Word yourself. Uh, I try to, right, I hold, I try to be very clear in what I'm saying and, and make sure it lines up with Scripture, but I am fallible, and so you need to go to the Word and you need to test this stuff yourself as well. Okay? We good with that? Okay. <laughs> help me, Jesus. Help, help me, Jesus. All right. You know, before we, before we dive into uh, what does God think about politics, I want to take a minute to recap. Ben talked about this a little bit last week. Recap a little bit on the political climate in Jesus' day. Super political climate that Jesus had. You see, um, 
there were times back in the history before Jesus of the Israelites, that's God's people, also known as the Jews, they wanted a king. And God's like, nah, you don't want a king. I'm your king. They're like, no, no, we want a king, just like everyone else. Like, nah, he's like, nah, you don't want a king. No, we want a king. So he's like, fine. I'm going to give you the request. I'm going to give you the king. And so over the history of the Jewish people, the Israelites, there were good kings and there were bad kings. So the good kings really led them towards the Lord. The bad kings led them away to the Lord and to worship other idols and, and other gods. It was, it was good and bad. But the concept of it all was like, th- there was... There was God's person who was king, and they were responsible for enacting God's will to, to his people. So you get fast forward now to the day of Jesus. And the, they are living in their country of, of Israel, but they are not able to rule as they want to rule. They have Roman oppressors. Rome is like the empire of the day, ruled by the Caesar out of Rome, right? And they had different people that were responsible for leading different aspects of the kingdom. So here in this little place of Israel, it's under Roman control and under Roman rule. And so it was bad because right there was oppression. It was bad that there was taxation. It was bad and all that stuff. But the worst thing about it for them was, okay, if, if we're God's people, why in the world are we ruled by pagans? What, what is this? Surely God hates this. Surely God is going to rescue us and overthrow the pagans. And they're longing for the day that they're going to take Israel back for God. Right? We want our person to be king. And so even in Jesus' day, there's this growing expectation. There's this growing anticipation for the day that God would send his king to establish a physical kingdom on earth and wipe out their oppressors. So in their case, they had an expectation. Someone's going to come in, crush the Romans, slaughter them, and then God's person will be king. So there's different ways that people thought this was going to happen. There was a group of Jews called the Essenes. They just thought if we just separate ourselves and kind of live or do our own thing, then God's kingdom will come. They, there was a group of people that thought, well, if we just follow all the rules, which are the Pharisees, then God's king will come. And, and then there's people that just thought, uh, the zealots, like if we, they, they want physical uprising. They wanted to kill their oppressors. If we do violently, then God will have his king come. And they were all longing. They had different ways of getting there, but they all longed for God's king to come. And God's kingdom, a kingdom is sometimes weird for us to think about in our culture because we don't live in a, in a kingdom, per se, where there's a king in charge. But a, a kingdom is where there is a king in charge and there's that king's domain. Wherever that king has rulership, it's the kingdom. Wherever the will of that king is enacted... That is the kingdom. And so often in, in a physical sense, it's separated by physical boundaries, right? Um, like Germany can't tell us what to do because they have no jurisdiction over this kingdom. They can tell their people what to do because they are the ones in control of that particular kingdom. And so a, a king's domain is, is where the kingdom is. And so they're longing for this day where finally God would send his person. That person would be king, and what God would want done would be done. God's will would be enacted on the earth. No more pagan rule, no more injustice, no more junk. God would finally come, and he would be king. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's the thing. Jesus comes, and he announces the good news of the kingdom. He says it all the time. The good news of the kingdom is is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. He's proclaiming this idea of the kingdom. And and you can imagine, right, people are getting super pumped up like, all right, finally, we've been waiting for this. 
all the oppression, all the bad policy, all the bad, wicked people in office. Finally, our guy's going to be in office, and God's kingdom is going to be established on earth. We're going to take Israel back for God. So he's proclaiming this message of the kingdom, but they had a very particular understanding of what that meant and what that was going to be. They thought it meant it was going to be a physical kingdom, and Jesus doesn't at all talk about overthrowing a physical government. So imagine their surprise. They're like, wait, what? So when's the part, like, we get our swords and we start, like, killing some Romans? And Jesus, right, does the opposite and says, put away your swords. He rebukes the disciples for cutting off the ear. They want to start a physical uprising. He's like, no, no, that's not what my kingdom is about. Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom, but he's showing how his kingdom is different than any other kingdom and how he's a king that's different than any other earthly king, right? Part of proclaiming the message of the kingdom, he demonstrates it with power. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He, he forgives sin. He does all these things saying, this is what it looks like when my will enters into a situation. When you're bound by the kingdom of darkness, he sets you free. He says, that's the kingdom of God that's come upon you. When you're bound by sickness, he heals the sick. He says, that's what it looks like when my kingdom comes into your, to your body. When someone's bound by shame, guilt, and condemnation, he sets them free with forgiveness. He says, that's what it looks like when the will of my Father is enacted and you are no longer bound to sin, but you are set free and no longer bound by shame, but now you walk in wholeness. I mean, that, that's what he's about. He's continuing to show his power. He's continuing to show what he's about. But they still are thinking this is going to be a physical kingdom like they'd understood. And so there's this one point where Pilate asked Jesus, so are you the king of the Jews that they keep saying? Are, are you really the king? And this is what Jesus' response is in um, John 18, 36. John 18, 36 says this. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have, me, have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. I mean, he's saying a ton of stuff, I think, in this statement. He's saying in part, like, listen, my kingship doesn't come from any human earthly king. My kingdom comes from the one who is descended from, from heaven. That, that's the source of this kingdom. But he's also saying, I think, how different his kingdom is. Because all the kingdoms of the earth, even the greatest version of the kingdom of this world, they all fade away at some point in time. I'm here to tell you, at some point, the kingdom of America will fade away. The greatest kingdom, and I'm not wanting that by any means, but the greatest kingdoms throughout human history have all faded away for a variety of reasons. But he's saying, here's the good news. My kingdom, and, and when you are entering, he's inviting them into a kingdom, into a kingship, into a citizenship. He's saying, it doesn't matter what your citizenship is on earth. It doesn't matter what country you're from. And that was why it was a big hubbub even among the Jews of the day because he's saying, I'm inviting those who are not even Jews, those who are far off, those to the ends of the earth. I'm inviting you to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. I'm inviting you into a new citizenship where you get to have me as your king and you get all the rights that are accompanied with a citizenship in a place. So think about it like this. Okay. As Americans... What are some rights that we hold as being Americans? What was that? Sorry. Guns, pursuit of happiness. 
Speech, free speech. Right to vote. Right to have cell phones. What's the other ones? Freedom of religion. All right, there's all of these. Because we are a citizen of this country, you are automatically given certain rights. But what happens if someone were to come over, come and take over our country? Our rights would be eliminated. Right? Because the rights of a kingdom only exist when that king is in place and can make sure that those things are enacted. But here's the good news of the gospel. We belong to a heavenly kingdom that no matter what earthly kingdom we belong to, no matter what king rises and king falls or president rises and president falls, there is no one that can take away our heavenly inheritance and heavenly rights because it is secured for eternity. Right? It says, Philippians 3, Mm, I've got so many notes today. Philippians 3.20. It says, but our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that, that's the thing, right? Jesus has come pronouncing his kingdom, pronouncing his kingship, and he's inviting us into this inheritance. He's inviting us into these rights where we have the right to be called sons and daughters. We have the right to become uh, set free of sin and shame. We have the right free to be... We have the right to become made pure through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the right to be his ambassador through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have all these rights that cannot be taken away because they are ours because of our citizenship. Those citizenship that citizenship, though, is in heaven. But in the meantime, before Jesus comes and fully establishes the fullness of his kingdom, where there will be no more counter kingdoms, there will be no more kingdom of darkness, there will be no more earthly kingdoms, Jesus will come and wipe those all away. But in the meantime, we're in the middle of a battle. We're in the middle of kingdoms that arise and fall, but no matter what goes on around us, we belong to the kingdom of heaven, and that's where our allegiance lies. So as we talked this morning about citizenship, yes, you have rights in this country, but ultimately our allegiance is not to a country, our allegiance is not to a political party, our allegiance is not to a candidate, our allegiance belongs to the one and only true and mighty God. And I just was thinking about that this week. I think when we get that screwed up, everything gets screwed up. Right? I'm not, listen, I'll I'll get to this in a minute. Like, politics are fine. They're great. Be involved. All that stuff. But listen, we're going to get super out of whack if we don't get right that our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. That's how we approach our day. That's how we approach the polling booth. That's how we approach our our issues is what is going to honor the Lord rather than what's going to honor my political party. Even this understanding where Jesus is saying my kingdom is not of this world. Even the the, the very understanding of like every single kingdom of this world operates with different values in the kingdom of heaven. Right? We, We talk a lot about, you know, America being a Christian nation and stuff. Like I think it's what a gift that we have such Christian values However, it says that every single version of the kingdom of this world is under the influence of Satan, even America. Like, don't get me wrong, I love America. A lot of great stuff. That's why Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, right? Satan says, come follow me, bow down to me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Why? Because he's got authority over the kingdoms of this world. Even the moral ones, even the good ones, Satan still has influence. And so what Jesus is saying is like, I didn't come to make a better version of the kingdom of this world. I come to make a heavenly kingdom that is unlike any version of the kingdom of this world. 
Even the greatest thing that you can think of, even the greatest version, which America, man, whoo, what a great version of the kingdom of the world. Even the greatest version of the kingdom of the world is not equal to the kingdom of God. Kingdom of America and the kingdom of God are not the same. Now, they're, that's a good kingdom, but it's not equal or as good as the kingdom of, kingdom of God. Because even that's what he's saying here. It's different. It's a different value system. He says, if, if I was coming to establish the kingdom of the world, my guys would have, would, have, would have fought for me. They would have crushed you. They would have slain all my oppressors to make me king because that's how the kingdom of this world works. It's about self-promotion. It's about any means necessary. And Jesus comes and says, it's not about self-promotion. It's not about self, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-preservation, um, thank you. It's not about self-preservation. It's about self-sacrifice. I mean, even, even the values are totally different. I mean, even because the kingdom of the world is all about power and gaining power, I mean, sometimes it's easier to see in a dictatorship kind of mentality, right? Where they want power and they fight for power and they do everything to maintain power. But even in a democracy, how often are people making decisions based on what's going to get them re-election, re-elected and keep them in power, right? The kingdom of God is about relinquishing power. And because of that, then, the kingdom of the world is all about spinning things to make yourself look good, spinning yourself in good light, or even lying. The kingdom of God is about humility and recognizing where you've fallen short. I mean, there's so many things that these two kingdoms don't even, they're not even in the same ballpark. They don't even work the same. They have different, uh, val- have different value system. Ooh, this is a good one too. Good thing I made some notes. A lot of times... The kingdom of the world is about um, managing behavior, which, I mean, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. Like, as a society, like, you need order and not chaos, right? You need goodness and justice. But you see, the kingdom of God is not simply about managing behavior. The kingdom of God is about a transformed heart, not of a transformed heart, then the proper behavior flows. It goes about it in two very different ways. We find success if the behavior has changed. No, we find success if our heart is transformed according to the kingdom of God. The other thing is, according to the world, we wage war with, with, uh, with war. And according to the kingdom of God, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and darkness of, of this world. It's a spiritual battle. I, I point out a few. If you were to think about it, there's probably a bazillion more ways that the kingdoms are, are different. But I point that out to say because I think there are a lot of ways where subtly we've equated these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of America, and that has influenced how we view our politics, which I think you've got to be very careful of. And I think Jesus was very careful to say, I, I'm not combining my kingdom with an earthly kingdom, as you understand it. I'm coming with a very different kingdom that operates differently. So here's some examples. I think one of the things that we get trapped into is thinking that the kingdom of God advances through worldly means. That if we just get, fight for more justice, if we um, just get our people in power, then God's kingdom will come. But Jesus addresses this. He says this in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. It says this, he's talking to the disciples. When they had come together, that's talking about the disciples. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're asking like, yes, is now the time you're going to kick the Romans' butts and you're going to make Israel into this physical earthly nation that we've been waiting for. Are you going to do it? And he totally changes the question. And he says, it's not, 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season as the Father is fixed by his own authority. And then he goes on to say something that feels totally random, but it's not. And he says this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to get caught up in restoring a physical kingdom. I've commissioned you as my followers. As citizens of heaven, you have a responsibility. You have an allegiance to me to represent me to advance my kingdom. And my kingdom comes through doing the same things I did. He said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom in the same way Jesus does. And Jesus doesn't talk about overthrowing physical governments. He instead proclaims the good news of the gospel, invites people into allegiance with him and confessing him as king and demonstrating his love his power through casting out demons, healing the sick, loving the unlovely, bringing justice in situations. But he's about understanding the kingdom comes by individual hearts submitting themselves to King Jesus. Right? Now, I'm not saying that laws are bad. Laws are great. We should fight for those. And I'll get into that in a minute. But I think we, we subtly, we subtly think in worldly terms, that God's kingdom is going to come, and he says it comes through very different means, through spiritual ways. I think one of the questions I've had to ask myself this week is, where's my allegiance? See, what ends up happening when we combine these kingdoms is we feel like, okay, I'm, okay, I'm going to say some things here, And you're going to assume I'm talking about one party or the other. I'm talking about all of it, okay? I'm going to equally step on toes, all right? I'm not trying to step on some of the others. Okay, thank you. I think what ends up happening is we assume, like, my party is God's man or woman. And so then what we do is we have this allegiance to a particular party or particular person. Where we feel like the other side then is, man, they're, they're not on God's side. They are evil, and therefore everything they do is evil. We assume the worst in them. We assume that they have the worst hearts. And even if they say something nice, I'm sure they mean they want to, you know, something terrible by it. We, we never affirm the good in another candidate. We only affirm the bad. But here's, here's the thing. When we realize our allegiance is to King Jesus and not to a political party or person, it allows me freely to look at any candidate and say, wow, that's really great. Wow, that really honors the Lord. That's a great policy. That one's not so good. That's not good. It allows me then not to disqualify character and simply say the policies are good, but the character doesn't matter, when in reality God cares about the character as well, but allows me to freely say that's good policy, but the character is crappy. And oftentimes we're afraid to not speak out about a political candidate because we're afraid that, um, well, I can't speak out against God's man. Here's the thing when we say about God's man or God's woman. It's kind of crazy, right? Because we only make that apply to our side. So we'll say, like, Trump's God's man. Sure. And so was Obama, and so was George W., and so was Bill, and all this, right? They're all. God's going to use them all for his purposes. But just because God can use anything, he used a donkey. I'm not, I'm not saying that in a... All right. Um, I didn't mean that as a joke too much. Um, but just because the Lord is using an imperfect vessel, and praise the Lord, he uses all of us as imperfect vessels. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to point and be like, ah, that's lacking there, and we need to call it out. I... 
I think sometimes we forget the witness that gets hindered by this sometimes. Is I think it's a... I think we just need to ask the question, right? Is it being an honest and good witness when I refuse to point out anything good about the other side that I vote for? When clearly, as Ben mentioned last week, no one political party encaptures the fullness of the kingdom of God. All parties have different aspects of it. And I think it's a more accurate witness when we can say, yeah, God cares about that. Yeah, God cares about abortion. Yeah, God cares about poverty. Yeah, God cares about this issue and this injustice. Yeah, God cares about all of it. But I think we are testifying to a very narrow view of King Jesus when we refuse to affirm the kingdom-minded things on the other side and, and only point for our own. Right? Oh, here's one. Um, I think the other thing the Lord wants to break us free from is the hope that we put in the political system. And if you don't think that you put hope in the political system, let me ask you this. How much of your emotion rises or falls based on whether your person gets into office? Right? Based on what happens in a few months in 2020 when we vote, some of you think your life is going to end. <laughs> and some of you think it's the greatest day in the world. What witness is that to the world if we testify that our hope is in a political system and a political candidate rather than in the everlasting God? Listen, I'm not saying be excited. Like, it's fine. Be invested. Be excited. But what a contrary witness that we get to be. It says, yep, that person's uh, not what I would have thought. I don't know what's going to happen in the country. But whether think the kingdom of uh, America rises and falls, and whether I have personal freedom, religious freedom or not, God is still on the throne, and he is still worthy of praise. Right? Um, I know it feels like a slow clap. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I, believe me, I thought about it. I, I get this. I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, but it's awesome, right? Even like some of you are so passionate about certain issues and political things. That's great. You can do that. But I think it's important to remember at the end of the day, God's kingdom's advancing isn't dependent upon certain policies in place or people in office. I, I think we see this a little bit more clearly in like... Um, persecuted areas of the world, right? Where they don't even have the option of speaking into their government. They don't have an option, really, of things changing. And if, if the kingdom of God was based upon godly people being in office for the kingdom to advance, they would be in trouble. But you see the exact opposite, right? They're being pressed down. They're being persecuted. It's illegal to be a believer. They're being killed. They're being all sorts of crazy stuff. And in the midst of that, they understand, wait, my allegiance is not to a country. My allegiance is not to a political party. My allegiance is to the Lord. Therefore, I need to do what honors the Lord. And they're doing it at the cost of their very life. And the kingdom is exploding in countries that are oppressed by the for the gospel. Right? And that's why it's like, I, I, listen, I love our freedoms. But sometimes I wonder if we love our freedoms more than we love the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm pointing to myself, right? I love the religious freedom I have. But it's amazing, like with all the religious freedom, we are free to speak, and yet we don't. 
I heard it said, um, there's this book and movie called The Insanity of God. It's amazing. And they said, like, we're under this, uh, they said, like, you're under this false assumption in America and in the West that you, you are free to share the gospel there, but we're not free. He's like, no, no, you are always free to share the gospel. There may be different consequences, but you are always free to share the gospel. Oh, dang, right? Because they understand my allegiance is to the king. No matter what happens, my allegiance is to king. My citizenship is in heaven. And even if I'm wiped off the face of the earth, it is temporary. My inheritance in a kingdom is one that will not fade away, that will not go away. It's one that lasts forever. And they hold to that promise. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think we mean well. I know we mean well by this. I know we do. Because, like, America is a great country. It might be the greatest version of a government that the world has ever seen. However, the greatest version of the world, the government the world's ever seen, is still a version of the kingdom of this world and not the kingdom of God. So, if we're not careful, we start to say things like, ah, oh, yeah, America is the hope of the world, America is a light. On the, uh, in the darkness. America is the city on the hill. And, this, and the thing is, like, those are all taken out of, uh, from Scripture. And, and it's from the Word of God. However, what is talked about in Scripture is not referring to a physical country. It's referring to the church. It is Jesus that is the hope of the world. It is the church that is to be set apart in the city on the hill. It is the church that is to be the light in the darkness. And you can do that no matter who's in office. But I say that to be like, ah, let's be careful. As great as democracy is, what's going to solve, what's going to bring the kingdom of the world is not more democracy or not more of a greater form of another government. What's going to bring the kingdom of the world is where people encounter the living God and understand that they need to renounce the kingdom of this world in repentance and give their allegiance to King Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly. That's when the kingdom advances. That's when revival comes. Not when my person's in office. That's not what's going to bring revival. But by personal repentance and confession of Jesus as Lord and walking in his ways. Nah, I'm going to skip that one. Okay, I can't skip that one, sorry. Hmm. I think sometimes we are viewing success entirely wrong. Because we've allowed the kingdoms to be meshed, we are viewing success entirely wrong. Where we just think, again, if I can get my person in office, if I get my policies enacted, if I can just get the Ten Commandments back in the courthouses, if I can get just prayer back in school, if I can get this policy or that policy. And I'm not saying those policies are bad. They're totally fine. But even if you got all of those things, that's not success in the eyes of the Lord. Which success is people surrendering to him as king. Sometimes we put so much effort and, and uh, work towards getting the right... Po- 
Sometimes we, get, we put so much effort and work towards like, I got to get this policy, I got to partition that. If you want to do that, that's, that's fine, that's fine. But we sometimes forget, again, the, the battle's not against flesh and blood, and are we battling for the kingdom of God as much as we are for the kingdom of this world? Are we battling in prayer for change and transformation of hearts, not just change and transformation of policies? I'm not saying this is a slam. It's just an honest observation. Back in the 80s, there was a group called the Moral Majority. Great heart, I think great pure motive. And they just thought if we get the right people in office, then we'll see our country taken back for God. And we got a bunch, they got a bunch of people that they wanted in office. And since that time in the 80s, the church has not grown, it's shrunk. The church is not more set apart and more holy, it's less so. And I think their desire was noble and good, but I think it proves the point that at the end of the day, us putting all of our hope in just getting the right people in office and the right things is not going to bring about the kingdom of God. It's us starting as individuals, submitting our heart to King Jesus and going forth as a, in, in allegiance to him and representing him and seeing hearts transform and surrender to King Jesus. Then policy will follow. Then stuff will follow. But it starts with transformed hearts, not simply the right policies. Okay. Jeez. Um, I'm not saying those things are not important. But... Before I get to that, here's, a lot, here's another thought. Is, um, I think it's such good news when we can separate these kingdoms. Because when we understand that our highest allegiance is to King Jesus, and therefore our allegiance is to one another as brothers and sisters, the thing that unites us is not a candidate. The thing that unites us isn't a party. The thing that unites us isn't ultimately a country. The thing that unites us is King Jesus himself. And that should bring all kinds of hope, right? Because then there is hope in the promise that if you vote independent, if you vote Republican, if you vote Democrat, if you just go, I don't care about any of it, it's all crazy, right? That we can still walk in unity because what unites us ultimately and more deeply is our allegiance to King Jesus himself. That we should walk out of here with great hope. We should walk in here fighting for that kind of unity more than who's right or what's right, but we fight for that kind of unity. Okay. I should wrap this up. So the question is, well, what do you do about government? In essence, it feels like a long introduction. What does God think about politics? And I, don't, I was trying to think about that question this week. Like, what does God think about politics? And in some senses, I'm like, I think God cares about politics. I think God cares who we vote for. But in some senses, I'm like, I think God probably cares about politics a heck of a lot less than we care about politics. And so it's this weird tension, right? Where we want to be like, eh, forget it all. I'm not going to, no. Like, I was thinking about uh, Jeremiah 29, 7. And it says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in, into exile. And pray that the, to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so it's saying like, he's speaking to the Jews when they were in exile, and we are exiles in a foreign land as citizens in heaven, but he's saying, don't just excuse yourself. Don't just be uh, not present in the place that you're in. Seek for the good of a place that helps your welfare as well. So I think there's a place for us to be involved in politics. I think there's a place for some of you even to run for office. If the Lord tells you, bless you, if that's the case, right? 
But I think it's a different place when we understand that the kingdom doesn't rise and fall on whether this particular issue gets passed or whether this person gets in office. It's saying, I'm walking in obedience to what God's asked me to do because it's what honors and pleases him. It's what's good for society. But ultimately, I need to be seeking first his kingdom, working for ultimately his kingdom, putting my hope in his kingdom, and putting my allegiance in his kingdom. Where when I go to the voting booth, it's, my question should be, my allegiance is to the Lord. How do I vote in a way that pleases him? That may mean voting for someone on a party that you've never voted for. That may mean writing in a candidate because God's ultimate concern is not whether you wasted a vote or not, but about living according to his kingdom principles. That may mean God is calling you, some of you, into politics or being involved in different issues because while it's true, America is not the light of the world. While it's true, America is not a city on the hill. You are. And so... Politics can be a pretty dark place. And maybe that's where God's sending you to be a light in the midst of that darkness. Maybe God's sending you to be a light in the darkness of the conversations that we tend to have that get really heated and really fired up, that you can be a light in those places and demonstrate a person whose hope is not in who wins or loses, but in whose hope is in Jesus Christ. Like this morning, I'm not telling you who to vote for. That's between you and the Lord. I encourage you to ask him before you go vote. He'll tell you. But my hope this morning is that we would understand that we've been invited into a kingdom that will not perish and will not fade. Your political party, your person will rise and fall, but we belong to an eternal kingdom, one that is not shaken and one that is steadfast and immovable. We have a king of a kingdom who uh, brings perfect justice and perfect peace and perfect righteousness. We belong to a king and a kingdom that is more powerful than the rest. The one who has spoken all things into being. The one who has invited you out of darkness and brought you into the light. That one compares to no other kingdom. And I think we just need to not settle for a lesser kingdom when we've been invited into a greater one. Our ultimate allegiance, Moran Park, is to the kingdom of God. Before we are an ambassador to a political party or a country, we are an ambassador to King Jesus and his kingdom. And that's honestly good news. Because I think that allows us to chill out a little bit when it regards to politics. All right, let's pray. God, I... um. I thank you that you've, you brought us into citizenship, into a new kingdom. That, uh, God, our hope is ultimately found in you. And we, we do thank you, God, for the gifts that we, we've been given in this country. And we want to be good stewards of those things. God, but in any way that we put our hope in those things, would you expose them? God, would you, would you point those out? That we would not um, walk so tightly and angsty that if this doesn't happen this way or this doesn't happen, it's all going to fall apart. I thank you, God, that you are the one that is seated on the throne. You are immovable. God, even if our greatest fears for this country come true, you are still Lord and your promises still prevail. So God, I pray that you would uh, show us what it means for each one of us that we are citizens in heaven, that our allegiance is first to you. God, um, Will you continue to open our eyes to the inheritance that we have as those citizens, the belonging that we have as citizens of heaven, the relationship that we have with you as king?
God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower us to go forth to the places that you call us to engage in conversations about politics, engage about, about uh, issues, engage about politicians, engage about these things, but that we would do it as weirdos that don't operate according to the ways of the world. They would do it as weirdos who represent you as king in a totally different way of operating. They wouldn't do it out of, uh, out of anger. We wouldn't do it out of pride. We would do it out of humility and graciousness. God, for the specifics in each of our lives regarding this, would you give us wisdom? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' glorious and holy name. Amen.